I'm Jerome Hudson, Breitbart News Entertainment Editor, author of the book 50 Things They Don't Want You to Know About Trump. This is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. Gas prices have hit a new record high of $4.80 a gallon, and that's cheap compared to California's $6.30 average. Americans are donating blood to cope with inflation driving up the price of groceries and fuel. Lines of cars see people waiting hours to receive baby formula. Crime continues to cripple our cities, and the average voter is mad as hell. So, of course, the corporate media and Democrats, but I repeat myself, can't stop talking about January 6th. We discussed the Democrats' plan, primetime J6 hearings, kicking off this week, former Trump White House advisor Peter Navarro's FBI arrest, and the gun crimes sports and entertainment elites don't want to talk about. That and so much more. Um, the San Francisco Giants manager, Gabe Kapler, um, he ha- is about over a week into what he says uh, is a stance that he has decided to take. Um, on the, on the, the horrific day of the Uvalde, Texas school shooting, Gabe Kapler, the San Francisco Giants manager, uh, wrote on his blog and said that night of the school shooting, he wanted to make a protest. He wanted to do something. He wanted to to make a stand against gun violence in America. And he didn't. He stood uh, and he came out with the ball club and the, and the San Francisco Giants players during the national anthem. But every day since that that team has had a game, Gabe Kapler has decided uh, to not come out of the locker room and not stand with his players and all of the fans that come out to see the game during the national anthem. Gabe Kapler said on May the 27th when the horrific shooting happened that he felt like a coward because he was standing out and observing uh, the national anthem along with the rest of, of, of the people in the stadium. In the, 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 the day after he finally did take his protest and he said, quote, I don't plan on uh, coming out for the Nash, for the anthem going forward until I feel better about the direction of our country. End quote. Um, he also said that that'll be the step. I don't expect it to move the needle necessarily. It's just something I feel strongly enough about to take that step. End quote. Quote. We're not the land of the free nor the home of the brave right now. End quote. I was a little bit late to this story, this Gabe Kapler protest. <laughs> um, because as so much of the Breitbart newsroom was con- consumed by the shooting itself, I, as entertainment editor, was tasked with rounding up and monitoring all of the nuttiest and craziest takes from the Hollywood elite, from the entertainment establishment, from the entertainment, the establishment media promoting these voices of entertainers who live literally atop of mountains in the hills of California behind gates and oftentimes security. The the security, of course, armed with guns. The same guns that we use to protect presidents and governors and senators and congressmen and factories and grocery stores and liquor stores, uh, but of course not our kids, not in enough instances in this country. That's beside the point. These entertainers were sort of ringing the same bell that Gabe Kapler was ringing. Of course, Gabe Kapler, the manager of the San Francisco Giants, has not actually, in on his Twitter account or in his personal blog, come up with any actual granular steps that you know verifiably would actually make this country, or more particularly our schools, safe. Of course not. We don't actually look to these giants of intellect, the entertainers and the leaders of major sports establishments for that type of of leadership. Hell, we can't even get it from the halls of Congress half the time. But what Gabe Kapler is saying here struck me in the same way that it struck me when Colin Kaepernick stood, or should I say took a knee on a mountain of lies, as if there was some grand conspiracy inside of America's police departments to just shoot and kill black people. What Gabe Kapler is basically saying here, and I quote, we're not the land of the free nor the home of the brave right now. He's saying that again in response to the Uvalde, Texas school shooting. 
It's absolutely insane. It's as crazy as Colin Kaepernick was when he again intimated that oftentimes police are just shooting black people unarmed uh, in, 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 in the process of, 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 of making an arrest or attempting to make an arrest. It was, it was categorically false then, and it still is now. Even the Washington Post, with its you know, s- s- slightly subjective data collection, has never actually shown what, again, Colin Kaepernick was intimating, that there's this grand conspiracy on the part of police to just shoot and attack black people. And, and Gabe Kapler is, you know, he lives in and around the San Francisco uh, area, a city that, unlike m- many major cities, often run by Democrats, has seen a, a horrific surge in crimes, violent crimes, petty theft, murders, you name it, carjackings, break-ins, sexual assault. San Francisco is the city, as I write in my first book, 50 Things They Don't Want You to Know, San Francisco had the distinction of being the city that had more needles on the streets and more drug addicts on the streets than it had students in its public schools. You know, I went and I did a search of Gabe Kapler gun violence. Gabe Kapler speaks on gun violence. And I did the search before the May 27th shooting. And what do you know? From from May 2001, excuse me, 2021, to April 2022, Gabe Kapler doesn't actually speak out on gun violence in America. Gabe Kapler doesn't speak out on the gun violence that he now says makes him feel like we are no longer the land of the free and the home of the brave. I don't know Gabe Kapler, and maybe somebody under the sound of my voice does, but somebody needs to get to this man. I'll make the same point that I made about Colin Kaepernick. If Gabe Kapler actually gave a damn, and I mean gave a damn about gun violence or violence in this country, he'd drive just 12 miles over the bridge to Oakland, California, a city considerably smaller than San Francisco, but has disproportionately more crime. It is, though, the common denominator linking San Francisco and Oakland, two cities that have been run for decades by Democrats. It's quite shameful that he is now being held up for his protest, not coming out with the rest of the team and the fans that come out to see San Francisco Giants games, observing the national anthem. But he is being held up and he's being feted and celebrated. Of course he is. It's just the way this thing goes. But this elective outrage is the thing that kills me the most about all of this. Um... And it's good to just have a platform to be able to speak out about it. Speaking of the political fallout and the ramifications, there have been consequences now. Uh, Representative Chris Jacobs, a congressman from New York, says he won't run again in the wake of, of backlash for his support of an assault weapons ban. Yes, an assault weapons ban. Uh, is just one of the political measures that's been put forth. And there are sadly some Republicans uh, who have even paid lip service to that uh, policy uh, procedure. But but Chris Jacobs, a congressman, uh, I guess not for long uh, from New York State, uh, came out and publicly supported it, and his constituents did what I encourage every constituent to do. No matter what the issue is, make it known to your representatives, the person that you give the power, the power borrowed to, to actually uh, enact the policies that you want. And uh, Chris, Congressman Chris Jacobs uh, heard from his constituents. Let's play that audio uh, clip. I truly believe I could win this election, but it would be an incredibly divisive election for both the Republican Party and for the people of the 23rd District many of whom I have not ever represented. The last thing we need is an incredibly negative, half-truth-filled media attack funded by millions of dollars of special interest money coming into our community around this issue of guns and gun violence and gun control. Therefore, today I am announcing that I will not run for the 23rd Congressional District. (laughs) Uh, Good riddance. Congressman Chris Jacob, the Republican from New York, 
I, I don't remember. And, you know, he could just be one of the 400 plus people in the House of Representatives that doesn't really get a lot of press or airtime. But he has all of Chris Jacobs, all of the freedom the he has, the Twitter and the social media presence. He's a sitting congressman for crying out loud. I really don't remember Chris Jacobs name coming up. I don't remember hearing his voice. I don't remember his press conference when the mayor of the largest city in New York State, and one of the largest, if not the largest populated city in the country, former Mayor Bill de Blasio, not only pledged his support to, but actually signed his name on the defunding of one of the largest police departments, I believe the largest police department in the union in New York City. The result of it was an exacerbation of blood running in the streets. And most of the victims of the violent, deadly crime were black and Hispanic citizens of New York City. I don't remember Congressman Chris Jacobs coming out and calling out his own colleagues in, in the House, the Democrats, who had seen a summer of violence, over 500 riots in the summer of 2020, continue to call for the defunding of police and police departments through the summer of 2021. I don't remember Congressman Chris Jacobs, the New York from Republican, calling out his, 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 his fellow congressman in the House, pushing for a deadly policy of removing police from, from neighborhoods that are all barely being ravaged by crime. Many of those same politicians, the Cory Bushes, the Ilhan Omars of the world, were actually having private security for themselves and their families while they were making calls to defund police departments in their own constituencies' neighborhoods. So sayonara, Chris, uh, Chris, Chris Jacobs. Uh, the, the Congress will be better without you in it. Uh, people need real solutions. That's why millions of Americans, as our own A.W.L. Hawkins has reported, are just taking matters in their own hands. They're arming themselves to protect their households, their families, their livelihoods, their small businesses. Because Democrats are dangerous. Democrats are actually calling for, and some mayors uh, have actually enacted some city councils, fewer police, fewer dollars going to police budgets. From the president on down, uh, we've seen this. And, and so if, if, if you are a Republican and, and you have thought about t- taking the message of, of advancing assault weapons ban, that's not a solution. Ban, ban all of the assault weapons in the country. It's only going to make it a holiday for criminals, would-be criminals, and especially the, the, the hundreds of thousands of gang members in this country. It does nothing for the security of, 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 of people who just want to live their lives in freedom, absent of the crime that too often ravages American cities. Um, it's just, just madness. Um, boy, I, I guess I should shift here, and if we're talking about rule of law, uh, Peter Navarro, um, after Alex got off of the air on Friday, was arrested by agents of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Uh, Peter Navarro, of course, a former White House economic advisor to former President Trump, um, acting on a referral the FBI was from the Democrat-run House that held him in contempt for refusing to testify as part of the partisan January 6th committee. Uh, Peter Navarro was apparently followed by FBI agents to the airport where he was going to be flying out and headed to speak with former Arkansas Governor Mike uh, uh, Huckabee. Navarro was arrested. Uh, handcuffed and they they put shackles on the man's legs basically just creating a a spectacle uh, if if you will it's been called um, a a political hit from the leaders of of Nancy Pelosi's Democrat uh, January 6th committee working in concert with the DOJ the FBI arresting this man putting him in John Hinckley's cell Peter Navarro said in a press conference uh, before reporters, he was given a public defender some three minutes, uh, he said, uh, before he was due in uh, uh, f- uh, federal court in Washington, D.C. 
Uh, he's been, he was arrested uh, by the FBI on two counts of contempt of Congress. Um, Navarro spent hours in custody, uh, our own Joe Pollock reports, and in court, uh, having at it, uh, are the words of Fox News anchor uh, Neil Cavuto, who was covering Navarro's press conference uh, after his release. Um, he, Navarro confirmed that he was arrested while boarding a domestic flight and placed into handcuffs and leg irons. Uh, he told reporters outside the, the courtroom that the arresting officers had made a point of placing him in a cell once occupied by former attempted assassin John Hinckley Jr., who tried to kill former President Ronald Reagan four decades ago. Uh, Navarro told uh, the judge that he would be appearing pro se, i.e. representing himself. Uh, all the, the, the best of luck to the former Trump uh, advisor, Peter Navarro. Um, yeah, there, there's nothing about this that doesn't say political hit job. Because Navarro's arrest came some 24 hours after he, on, on cable TV, said that he would help lead the charge in impeaching Joe Biden should Republicans take back a majority in the House of Representatives. Which Kevin McCarthy is now the minority leader. He will probably be House Speaker here uh, in the coming months, uh, right around February 2023. There's going to be a mandate. I have tons of, of 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 news about polls. The American people aren't stupid, and apparently Democrats think that they are. But Kevin McCarthy will be speaker. There are going to be some mandates that are going to come with that gavel. Um, I think one of them is actually going to be holding a serious investigation about the 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 the, the, the Americans who are are, are being held. Um, right now, as a result of the uh, the January sixth riots, um, many of them uh, for just being in Washington D.C. on that day, um, it's just a miscarriage of justice. And Peter Navarro's arrest here, which everything about it looks like a spectacle and a political hit job, is just <laughs> just another piece um, of that puzzle. Speaking of the January 6th uh, committee, the committee will finally hold its hearings after months of a sham investigation, after certainly many media spectacles like this, in prime time at 8 p.m. It'll probably be the first question that I asked Dan Gaynor, because as is so much of the Democrat uh, campaign uh, to, to, to reform America, the cable media particularly, but certainly the establishment media has been such a huge part of, of, of this charade. Uh, and to hold hearings in prime time on, <laughs> on what happened in January 6th at a time when gas prices are hitting record highs some days in secession, day after day. I think the, the record was, was, was new gas price hit a new record and increased for like 14 or 15 consecutive days. For two weeks, every American having to, 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 to go to a gas station to fill up could expect a new higher gas price. Only feeding in to the economic avalanche that so many Americans are facing. There are families, mothers and fathers, who are struggling, literally struggling, to find baby formula. Uh, in this country right now. I, I have audio here. It's Splice. It's a the Republican National Committee put out this, this audio of Joe Biden on the campaign trail talking about how in, in his, in, in only Joe Biden's, you know, uh, sanctimonious anger about how, you know, it's, it's, it's a national disgrace that families have to wait in food lines to get food. And the audio then cuts to, you know, local and national reports about people waiting for hours to get baby formula. Producer Haley, let's run that clip. That people would have to wait in line an hour, hour and a half to get a box of food in their trunk. It's just unbelievable. 
Supply chain issues are starting to impact infants as baby formula might be harder to find in stores. In Dearborn, Michigan on Friday, cars lined up for nearly a mile waiting for formula. And where is Joe Biden? Well, he's probably back in Washington, D.C. Probably. Uh, the 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 Daily Piece, the Daily Mail, and the New New York Post have both run, I guess, their own independent investigations. Or maybe this is the Daily Mail citing the New York Post's reporting. Biden is on pace to take the most vacation that any other president, including Trump, as he prepares to head uh, to Rohoboth Beach for the weekend there. And uh, and and so he's on pace to take the most vacation, the most time away from the White House at a time where we've reported historic economic calamity facing every American or nearly every American. There is 1%, though. I remember the poll. I can't can't remember the poster that did it. 1% of the country thinks that the economy is headed in the right direction. The joke, of course, writes itself. 866-957-957. 2874 is the number to call to join the program. Um, when you have CNN writing headlines like with with formula in short supply, moms are pumping breast milk to help others. I, I collected some headlines and I was going to ask the, the listening audience. I was going to ask you guys to pick out the headline that you think is fake. Because we're at a point right now where you kind of have to say not the onion, not the Babylon Bee. Uh, a mother named Hillary Damon has been reading the news about the nationwide formula shortage with horror. Quote, I realized I have a deep freeze f- full of milk. I guess that's deep freezer full of milk. And I'm still pumping. This woman said she decided to start pumping exclusively so she could give and donate her breast milk to a local milk bank. Which I didn't even think was a thing, but apparently there are milk banks uh, maybe there's one in your town. Uh, but, the, but, the, but the House Democrats and Democrats and apparently one soon to be former congressman, Chris Jacobs, are out there talking about assault weapons bans. <laughs> um, there's crime surges. We, we basically don't have a border right now. God bless the Border Patrol agents, the ICE agents continuing to do the good work to protect this country. I have an immigration story here of 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 of, of criminals being apprehended at our border, multiple sex offenders, uh, in uh, fugitives, gang members arrested after crossing the southern border. It's from uh, Bob Price, or uh, reporting on on just on Saturday, border agents along the southern border with Mexican. Mexico arrested multiple criminal aliens and gang members during the past week. The arrests after illegally uh, crossing the border included sex offenders, child sex offenders, an accused murderer from Mexico, and dangerous gang members. Hopefully they will be prosecuted. They will be held, uh, and they'll be booted back. Uh, uh, And maybe they came from Nicaragua or El Salvador. Who knows? But hopefully that's what happens. Oftentimes, uh, these people are let go. It's, it's surprising that border agents were even actually able to hold this raid, that these arrests were even made. Inflation will force 25% of Americans to delay retirement, according to a survey. This is from the New York Post. You feeling that? January 6th, primetime, 8 o'clock, be there on certainly cable media this Thursday. That's what the national media will be consumed with. Here from the Wall Street Journal, baby formula shortage worsens, hitting low-income families the hardest, a headline that could write itself every single day. Again, as Alex has mentioned, the New York Times was reporting about how supply chain shortages were going to affect Americans in March of 2021. Joe Biden said he knew about it due to his... Uh, 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 FDA shutting down the Abbott baby formula factory in early April, Joe Biden says, while his administration has come out and said that they knew about it in early February. 
The Abbott factory shut down February 17th, so of course the administration knew about it in February, but Joe Biden says he didn't, he wasn't told until two months later. That's why a majority, an overwhelming majority of the country believes that he is too slow to react. Well, of course he is. The the, the man needs to be in hospice care, if you're asking me. (sighs) Um, the headlines just actually seem fake, but of course, according to Washington Post, the Washington Post, Jeff Bezos's paper of record, black voter support for Biden has cooled. Poll finds support among black voters remains strong, but has softened among one of the Democratic Party's most fiercely loyal groups. This is not an, an anomaly. This is not an outlier. Again, the aforementioned A.W.R. Hawkins, the good doctor, has reported that among the millions of people who are taking uh, their, their, their safety, their family's safety, their business's safety into their own hands, black women, black Americans are among those who are purchasing guns. Producer Haley, let's 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 cue up this audio. MSNBC sent out a reporter as a part of a package reporting on mothers, Hispanic mothers and 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 fathers, parents who are very quickly and swiftly leaving the Democratic Party for the Republican Party in cities and states all across this country, but particularly in Texas and Florida. In California, states with large Hispanic populations, I have, as, as, as Alex has, but I certainly have talked about ad nauseum for months. Eve, I even interviewed a spokesman for uh, a national Republican Hispanic uh, uh, campaign in Texas about the shift of Hispanic Americans from the Democratic Party to the Republican Party, whether it be for uh, economic issues, health care. Uh, education. But here's audio uh, of an MSNBC reporter. It was an hour long uh, uh, little documentary feature that they did. You're going to listen to a Hispanic mother who is a former Democrat, as so many of the parents in this MSNBC package were former Democrats who left that party for the Republican Party. This woman pulled her children out of school because she felt like her children in Texas this Hispanic mother's children were being indoctrinated with with communism and transgenderism. Producer Haley, let's roll that. I have six kids in total. The two little ones are currently homeschooling. I pulled them out of school 2020. When Why? There was a lot going on, but 2020 for me was uh, what I like to call my political awakening. Mm-hmm. I have never been politically inclined, ever. My father was, so I grew up hearing about uh, a lot to do with politics, Uh, possible communist takeover and all this craziness. But in my mind, I always thought, this is just my dad and his trauma, you know, from being a political prisoner. So I always shied away from that. I actually resented it. But I feel that 2020, there was no denying what was going on. And for me, it hit most with the children. What are they learning here that they're not learning in school? Uh, For me, it's safety. So I know that they are not going to learn uh, certain positions. Like what? Uh, For example, I don't have anything against the LGBTQ uh, community at all. I don't think the kids should have it pushed on them. (laughs) And that went on. From interview after interview, city after city, state after state, that MSNBC reporter, I, I, I recommend it to everyone to see that MSNBC reporter who's, who said that she is a lesbian, Hispanic woman interviewing these parents, these Hispanic parents reacting to the leftist lurch the Democrats have pulled this country into. Like those are the table, the kitchen table issues that Republicans can easily with both hands tied behind their back, blindfold, run on and win elections on. That's the stuff that people care about. What their kids are being taught or what their kids aren't being taught. Uh, but the Democrats are preparing several, almost a dozen gun control policies. Chris Jacobs announcing that he won't run for re-election in the summer 
of a midterm election year. Um, and it's because he represents a state that had a horrific shooting a few weeks ago up there in Buffalo. It's a state in New York state, just like in California, that has the same red flag laws, the most heavily litigated state. That is against legal gun owners, of course, as so many gun laws, virtually all of them, impact the people who, who play by the rules. And so oftentimes do nothing to stop the horrific insanity that some monster does with the gun. That woman's voice that you just heard, she's a part, thankfully, of a growing number of Hispanic Americans, many of them first generation, but oftentimes second generation. Those people who lived in this country for decades, many of them have deep spiritual and religious religious convictions that is leading them away from the Democratic Party to the Republican Party. I say all this to say that we are the sane ones and that there is a huge opportunity. If the Democratic Party wants to strap this suicide vest to themselves starting at 8 p.m. on Thursday with this ridiculous sham primetime January 6th committee hearings, then let them. I celebrate it. I welcome it. I am baffled by it because it makes no political sense. But for whatever reason, the Democrats are, 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 are party to their own destruction and demise. It's D-Day, June 6th. So we were joined on the program by author Patrick K. O'Donnell. He's a military combat historian whom for 25 years has interviewed American veterans from World War I to Iraq. We discussed D-Day, the Allied invasion of Normandy in Operation Overlord that turned the tide in World War II. Great to be with you, Jerome. Thank you. Um, I've uh, spent a good portion of yesterday um, reading your byline, which I recommend to everyone um, under the sound of my voice, and just sort of, you know, I guess trying to, in my own small way, focus on this day. Um, but for a quarter of a century, this has been the focus of your professional life. Um, what does D-Day mean to you here in 2022? You know, I was just reflecting on that. Um, D-Day, for me, I, so many of these men were my friends. Hmm. I mean, I had the friendship of the greatest heroes of the greatest generation. Yeah. The heroes of D-Day. Many of the men I knew received the Medal of Honor or the Distinguished Service Cross, Silver Star, or just were ordinary Americans that never received any decorations at all did really extraordinary things. And that's what D-Day represents to me. Uh, men that just rose to the occasion um, against incredible odds. And you know, I'm just so blessed to have them as my friends. My daughter, who was a young baby at the time, you know, a young toddler, mm -hmm. he, she called him uncle, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, because we were so close to, I was so close to many of these men. And I, I remember my first book signing was with a book called Beyond Valor, which I wrote, which is on the Rangers and Airborne that yep. shared the, the their stories, uh, emotional stories. They called it the heart of combat. And I posted some C-SPAN, and it was amazing. Just looked at it this morning, and I'm, I'm, I remember Ranger Sid Solomon, who was with C Company, his 2nd Ranger Battalion. If you remember Saving Private Ryan, mm -hmm. this is the unit that, that they were supposed to depict. And Sid, you know, was coming in on the landing craft at 645. Shells landed nearby. The mortar section was killed in his boat. He jumped off the landing craft in a water that was chest deep and the men next to him was killed. He had a Tommy gun above his, his, his shoulders and he has to scale a hundred foot cliff. This is at a place called, place called Point de la Prate, which is the extreme um, flank of Omaha beach. And they're under heavy fire. He has one of the most important missions of D-Day, which was not at Point de Hawk, but this is Point de la Prate where there were mortar positions that were dug in on top of that cliff that were lobbing mortars and just killing our men left and right. Yeah. And with a bayonet in his fingernails, no rope, scaled a 100-foot cliff. Gets to the top, 
the man next to him is is killed and you know he just goes to work there any there's an entrenchment up there and the, all the positions on omaha are zeroed in with mortars he has a white phosphorus grenade two of them actually and he just starts lobbing them into you know dug in german positions and he knocks out these mortars and he's an amazing guy. He was 87 years old, and he was still rowing hmm. um, in Philadelphia <laughs> every day. And uh, just just an incredible guy. And, uh, you know, he had this kind of voice like Donald Sutherland, just this poise, this, this, this confidence, but never a cockiness, just a great American. And those are the men of D-Day, and those are some of the special memories that I have. Have we honored uh, these heroes, um, you know, 78 years on, um, many of them have, have passed on, uh, but in that time, as, as you sort of look back almost eight decades, um, have, have we done everything to, to honor their legacy, to support them? Um, I mean, I know the systems aren't perfect, um, you know, the Veterans Affairs, uh, and, and the like, um, but can, should we as Americans feel proud of, of the way that we've honored and supported and taken care of of, of these veterans particularly, uh, but more broadly, those who have sacrificed uh, for this country? I think there's a lot more work that can be done in that arena. I mean, I was, I was a combat historian in Fallujah, and um, I know others those are still my friends too. Yeah. And uh, I've seen how in many ways there's a lot more work that can be done with, with our veterans. Uh, there's no doubt about that. In terms of D-Day, I think we did a, a very, a very good job of, of honoring many of those men. And I think, you know, there always could be more. And, and I was always impressed with the way the French people honored our veterans. And this is especially true. When you go back to France and you go to places like Bella Wood, where the Marine Corps in World War I held off the German army and it's driving Paris, or you go to the Hallett ground in Normandy, and just the French civilians there just really love Americans. And uh, they come right up to you, and especially if there's a veteran there. It, it, I mean, there's so few of these men left. I mean, the men that I interviewed are mostly all gone, sadly almost all of them to a man. But when I went over, I went over many times with some the, the veterans themselves, and that was a remarkable experience. Yeah. And just to see the French um, that were there that, you know, come up to these men and you know, honor them. Patrick K. O'Donnell joining the program right now. He's a military combat historian. Um, I, 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 I'll say one of the best on the planet. Um, I, I'll, I'll say that um, he's written uh, several books, uh, including uh, Dog Company, uh, The Brenner Assignment, Into the Rising uh, Sun. Um, so, seventy-eight years on, um, uh, Patrick. I mean, you know, D-Day was monumental uh, in the in the battle against an evil regime. Given the state of the world and evil regimes, which I, I believe uh, the, the people who run the Chinese, uh, China and Beijing, I mean, are representative of in many ways in the same fashion uh, as, as, as Nazi Germany was. Um, do you ever sort of sit back and just look at the parallels between um, what, what, what inspired these brave men um, on that day and in that war to, uh, you know, our current predicament, um, you know, in, in, with China specifically, I mean, just the, the hundred, they have hundreds of concentration camps in that country. Do you ever, do you ever sort of think back on and, and look at in, in those, you know, parallels between then and now? I do. I think about it all the time. And there is a real, issue there and, and and then i also think about how much of it is self-inflicted in some ways yeah in the fact that we have a dependence on specifically places like china where we're dependent upon them for a variety of things and i think that was something that our our founders would would definitely despise 
and uh, you know, dependence was something that they they made a big deal about in terms of the revolution itself and getting off of cheap British goods at this time or being dependent upon Great Britain for anything. And they recognize with dependence comes control. And once you're controlled, it's, it's a different matter. I mean, one of the great things about America has always been its economic strength and its industrial strength, and that's been eroded. Uh, these are grave issues that we need to address. Um, and then there's also America as the idea. It's an idea, you know, it's an idea of, of who we are. It's an idea of liberty and freedom. And that goes against exactly what you described about concentration camps and other things. Um, you know, these are things as Americans we should be very concerned about. What does D-Day mean 78 years from now? Um, we've seen a decline for over two decades of our, our, our major military uh, cadet establishments. I think the Army and uh, the Air Force are now coming out publicly talking about how hard it is to recruit. There are many issues facing our armed forces, particularly the leadership with the, the, the proliferation of transgenderism and critical race theory. It's, 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 so, it's so political, uh, and that poison has seemingly infected so many uh, parts of, of, of the, the, the call to service. Um, do you think this day, uh, and particularly, um, is is sort of hollowed and 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 one of remembrance eight decades from now. I think there's some serious challenges of distractions, and um, it, it, from our core, I mean, the military should be focused on war fighting. That should be their primary focus. And there are, you know, there have been distractions out there, but I still have, you know, hope, mm -hmm. and I, I that that we have one of the greatest militaries in the world still. And I, you know, I think that when when the military, you know, leadership in, in some some cases actually does become political, that's that's a very dangerous thing. Um, they need to remain apolitical, um, and that's 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 been the the hallmark of. Um, American American military. It's under. It's always been under civilian uh, control, but it's it, you know the hallmark has been it's it's been apolitical for the most part, um, and uh, you know those are some of the lessons that we can learn from obviously from our history. Yeah, you mentioned um, Saving Private Ryan. And I just remember watching you know movies like that with my father's was army airborne for nine years he served in uh in in the army and sort of i i was i was sort of raised uh, around military men my entire life and you know just you you sort of remember movies like that depictions of this great war um and you know sort of piggybacking off that last question i asked you the fact that top gun has done the numbers over a half a billion dollars in two weeks worldwide it sort of does feed into sort of that hunger that appetite it's a it's incredibly pro-american film it's incredibly pro-american military film it's good versus evil um but there does seem to be a decline in films that focus on the era a focus on this day that war that those men sacrificed in uh, for freedom, but you know, I, I sort of, I personally sort of look at um, just just a you know a movie with Tom Cruise, um, you know, just the the response to it though, just the, the the urge and the yearning and the desire that people have to see that performance and what that story tells and what that means, uh, that seems is maybe trivial as it as it might seem. It does it does sort of feel like. It, it feeds into that, that, that hope that you have that, you know, eight decades from now, we still come to D-Day with, with, with heavy hearts and, and, and um, you know, in reverence for the sacrifices made. I, I, saw, the, I saw Top Gun, and I was, I was really impressed. I, I thought it was as good as the original, if not better. Um, yeah. I, I, was, I was impressed with it. I, I, 
I really enjoyed it, and I found it compelling. And it's a situation where I think, as you brought out, half the country, if not more, is yearning for that type of a film, is yearning for um, something that's not woke, <laughs> something that's just pure, you know, I mean, this is, it was a good film. Yeah. And, you know, on the lines of American Sniper or some of the other mm-hmm. uh, films that were out there, this is what, I mean, a large portion of our, our country wants. They don't want, uh, you know, some of the stuff that's out there is just, people are tuned out by it. It's just not, it's not fun to watch. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, going forward, Patrick, I mean, what are some of the things that you think could be done better? Um, I mean, I've had goosebumps throughout this interview, but again, I'm 36 years old. I have deep reverence and appreciation uh, for for these these men, for their sacrifices, for their stories, and I and I fully understand why the military mem- uh, uh, leaders at the time made the decision, you know, why D-Day exists. Um, but I feel like there's been a lacking in education. Um, we're talking about popular culture and film, but certainly in schools. Um, you know, it, again, it, it, sort of critical race theory and, and, and transgender ideology has infected our own military apparatus. Uh, in this country, what, sort of, what are the things? E- even if it's just getting back to basics, um, could you know, people listening to us sort of do to help encourage, to help promote, uh, as, as as getting back to a place where we, or or maybe a better place where we appreciate um, days like this, and certainly who these days are about. Well, I think that there are, you know, real challenges on our, our history itself. And that, that is a, that's an issue. It's a big issue. Yeah. A lot of it, I think, you know, I, I think sadly there's so much history in plain sight <laughs> that's often not even recognized. Yeah. And let me just sort of give an example of the Revolutionary War. There are countless sites in New York City that don't even have interpretive signs mm. on some of the greatest battles in our Ameri- in American history or Trenton, yeah. for instance, where the tide of the world rested on the shoulders of, you know, young farmers and mechanics that, that, that you know, answered the call to arms and defeated the greatest army <laughs> in the world at the time. And this stuff's, right there and yeah. i think a lot of it has to do with how history is told in many ways it's if, if people it's story in many cases right and it's story of regular people it's stories of the african-american that was a free man that rode washington across the delaware yeah that nobody's ever recognized or the story of you know James Monroe that assaulted British cannons at at at, at, at uh, Trenton and it was mortal, nearly mortally wounded and almost wasn't our president later on. There's so many amazing stories, and I think that story does capture young hearts and minds because they can relate. If it's just a, a series of dry facts or memorization, you know, people don't quite. It's not something that sinks in. Yeah. So I think that we have a responsibility to, to teach history in a more lively and an interesting manner so that it's relatable and it gets young people involved. I think yeah. that's really a, an important thing is <laughs> I was involved with history when I was about four years old and I've always been involved. It's been my passion yeah. and it's not something that just showed up when I was 21. It's been there for my whole life and I've loved it. And I, my father helped me get involved in it. And it was just, in some cases, it was Hollywood. I mean, it was just the stuff I played with. I mean, it was just different things that led me down that path. It was also the books that I read. I had a library of hundreds of books when I was eight years old that were all related to military history. And I would walk battlefields with my, my father. So he loved it. Yeah. And I mean, there's, 
I think uh, if we can get more young people involved, I think that'd be a great thing. He is Patrick K. O'Donnell, military combat historian, author of several books, uh, just a quarter century of interviews, thousands of oral histories with uh, veterans from World War One to uh, Iraq. Do you have anything to plug, Patrick? Well, I have a, a latest book called The Indispensables, okay. which um, I've written you know, several articles on Breitbart on that book. It's on the, the Marblehead Regiment from the American Revolution. That just came yeah. out in paperback uh, very recently. And then um, there's so many of my D-Day books, such as Dog Company, which you mentioned, and also Beyond Valor. Yeah. And those are on the Rangers and the Airborne, the elite units of the uh the invasion and their oral histories are in that book and sort of a narrative band of brothers on the rangers the second ranger battalion that took the point the point to hawk in the great guns there that threatened the, the invasion um both on omaha beach and utah beach An incredible story of how a single single man really changed the course of the invasion when all the guns of the ships and the literally thousands tens of thousands of bombs couldn't take out this battery of six <laughs> massive guns, but one ranger armed with thermite grenades took out, disabled five of them, and another ranger disabled another. But uh, it's just an amazing story of grit and valor and uh, just against all odds. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's accomplishing something that changed the course of history. It's so cinematic. It's so thematic. You, I don't know if you know what an overall deal is, but... God bless you. You really need one. Like you know, Disney or Netflix, they probably will never do it, but they should just give you a hundred million dollars. Well, and I would, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. <laughs> as 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 am I, uh, Patrick. God bless you. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you. Better not. I got American parts. I got American face. This is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. Thanks for listening.